friends, Renee from BSC here. We are bringing another episode to you today. Happy Tuesday. I hope it's snowing where you are. We just got a few big dumps where I am. And normally with the coastal weather in Vancouver, we don't get huge pow days at our local resorts right in the North Shore. But it's been cold. There's a lot of snow that came in really light. So I got a really awesome midweek pow day this week. Um, that was pretty sweet. It doesn't happen a ton here. Usually I'm just up there skiing park. So I got a great pow day. I hope you get a great pow day. I hope it's not too freezing cold because it has been pretty chilly up Whistler Way. Anyway, guess today is really awesome. We had a really great conversation with her, Janie Nolan. She is the executive director of the American Avalanche Association. That is a bit of a mouthful to say all the time. So we refer to it mostly as A3 throughout the interview. Just a little bit easier to say. She grew up skiing and her parents, her family, very involved in skiing and in the ski industry as she grew up. Then going away to university, she eventually found herself coming back to skiing and getting a job with A3. So we chatted with her about how that kind of happened, what the shift was like, what her job entails, any challenges she has with working as the big boss lady of this team. She's pretty rad. We bonded with Janie over <laughs> initially over how much of grandmas we secretly all are, where you come home and you just want to nestle in and, and go to bed early, you know? Everyone that has a little grandma in them, shout out to you. It's it's the way to be, seriously. So without further ado, here is episode number. I think we're on 48, which is crazy. Episode 48 with Janie Nolan after a couple ads. Thank you to Deuter for sponsoring today's episode. My first exposure to this brand was a backpack that my dad had growing up, and it was a hiking pack. And I did the classic Boro, but you couldn't really call it a Boro because my dad never saw the pack again until he went out and bought himself a new pack. Um, and so I took it because it was so comfy. I loved it. It was just like nice and airy on the back and didn't get as sweaty, but it just sat really nice on the hips. So I loved that pack. Now for skiing, I am rocking the 28 liter free rider SL. So that's the women's specific pack. I'm finding it pretty comfortable and um, low profile when you're riding just like around the resort. It can like pack down quite low profile, which is really nice, but it also fits in all your Abbey gear and everything that you need for a quick day out. So Deuter packs, you can look them up online. They're really great quality. I can attest to that. And thank you to Woodchuck Cider for helping us with today's episode. Woodchuck is based in Vermont. They do hard apple ciders and they have a ton of flavors. These guys are huge innovators, always thinking up new stuff. 
All of their ciders are gluten-free, made from apples, and what's also kind of fun is they do like a brunch box, they call it. They have flavors bubbly Prosecco, Mimosa, Paloma, Bellini, like cider cocktails, I guess you could say. I don't know if there's like a special word for that. Cidoctails? Yeah, that's definitely not it. woodchuck ciders based in vermont lots of fun flavors check them out guys and now without further ado episode 48 janie nolan dropping in three two one um hi my name is janie nolan and i'm the executive director of the american avalanche association Short and sweet. That was short and sweet. That was badass. Um, well, I don't know. What else, what else do you want to know? Well, <laughs> let's start with how, how you got there in totally. incremental steps. <laughs> Tell your life story <laughs> and talk totally. more about the American Avalanche Association. That's a, a lot of words that are not short altogether. It is. We can call it A3 for short. So from here on out, the American Avalanche Association can be called A3 for cool. ease. Um, okay, from the beginning. So my, uh, my, my time starts in Pinedale, Wyoming. Um, I grew up there, and both of my parents were involved in the ski industry. Um, they actually built the small local hill that was in my town. And from a young age, my brother and I were just kind of ski area brats. We hung out at the ski resort literally every weekend and every night. Um, it was just kind of our lives, and we didn't know anything else. Um, so I've always been kind of connected to this community and the avalanche community in particular, I've been connected to through both my dad and brother because my dad was a ski patroller at Alta for a long time. That's actually how my parents met. Uh, And then my brother, when he, um, I guess he didn't graduate college. (laughs) He left kind of halfway um, and started ski patrolling at Alta as well. So they were both really tied to avalanche work and to my dad in particular to the American Avalanche Association. So you know, I've always known about A3 and kind of had it on my radar. And a couple of, I guess, a year and a half ago, the job opened for the executive director spot. And I applied and here I am. And I've been here a year and a half and I really love it. And that's kind of the the high level background. <laughs> I, th- I love how you just casually like, yeah, my parents built a ski hill. That is so <laughs> cool. And I, and I know it's like probably not a huge area if you're in a small town. But still, like, you know, when you're a kid, even the smallest things seem really sweet. Like, now that I'm an adult, I look back on when I was younger and we would spend our summers on the east coast of Canada. And my dad and his brothers built this cottage on a lake that, like, my grandma, it's the bland's been in my grandma's family for years. So just the, like this small piece of land that we would then go dirt biking and, like, have all these fun toys now, as an adult, I remember before my grandma passed, I was like, wow, so cool that we got to do that. And to have these spaces where like you don't realize it at all until you're an adult and you're like, wow, that was actually the sickest childhood ever. <laughs> yeah, we used to I used to get so annoyed because my friends would go like sledding on Saturday and I'd be like, please, can we please go sledding and not like cool, like motorized sledding, like dorky plastic saucer down the side hill sledding. 
And my parents like would just shake their heads and say like, no, we're going skiing. And now I look back at that and laugh like, oh, I was such a little brat for being sick of skiing every day of the week. But what a gift. And like it was literally it was the best. It was great childhood. And all of our friends skied and it was only one like it was all one base area. So you couldn't get lost. There was no avalanche terrain. So there was, you know, you could kind of go wherever in the spring when it was a really big snow year, we would ski off the backside and hitchhike back up. And it was just, it was a playground. And yeah, it was very cool. Really lucky. That's super cool. Also, the fact that your parents like met at Alta, that's such like a ski bum classic romance story. Yeah, it's really cute. It's so cute. (laughs) Um, My mom was working at the Deep Powder House, um, which is a ski shop at the base. And then, um, my dad was obviously on patrol, and I think he came in to buy chapstick from her. And that's how the story started. <laughs> it's literally cherry chapstick. It's yeah. like, you know. <laughs> my uh, my grandparents are actually similar. We found, like, my grandma's scrapbooks from when she was in high school, and we were clearing out their estate. And turns out she, like, went through a tear of dating, like, basketball players, football <laughs> players. like, And they're all, like, tall, like, handsome, buff dudes. And then I guess she wanted to learn how to ski, so she decided to date my grandpa. And he was just, like, a shorter, like, skinny, just dorky mountaineer and that's why she wanted to to date him and then they got married and that was like their life from there on out but it was pretty cute (laughs) you're just like flipping through the scrapbook and it's like all of her boyfriends and then there's just like her and grandpa and there's like a stark difference but you know it's they made it work so (laughs) hey when you know you know and she probably is a great skier or was a great skier She was, yeah. My grandpa was really into photography, so we found, like, um, boxes and boxes of uh, slides and, like, film from back in the day. And, like, the photos of them on top of mountains and stuff and, like, just their style and, like, skiing. And, like, we have one of my grandpa doing a spread eagle, like, just on straight skis with no helmet on, like, wind in the hair, just... It was so cool. I actually inherited his ice axe that he he summited a lot of peaks in the Rocky Mountain area with, and it's... yeah. So I'm big on that, you know, old school (laughs) mountain love stories. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) Uh, Janie, you mentioned your dad's a patroller, your brother is a patroller, but you stepped into this position with the Avalanche Association one and a half years ago. Obviously having family that is so involved in the avalanche industry, what did you getting into the backcountry look like and when did that start? Yeah, so um, I think, I I guess there's kind of two parts. Um, The first, when I applied, I didn't really, I mean, I knew about the American Avalanche Association. And when the job opening came up, I was really ready to transition from the role I was in at a conservation organization. And I really was looking for more leadership. Um, And so when this job opened, my dad was like, hey, I think this would be a good fit. And when I got it, it was pretty funny, because the first thing he said to me was like, don't fuck it up. And um, so I have tried really hard to, you know, not not mess it up in my first year and a half. And I don't think I have. Um, And I in terms of getting kind of into the backcountry, I actually didn't start backcountry skiing until COVID. So because I grew up with parents at a resort, my experience skiing was in, you know, really controlled terrain um, or skiing at Alta or Jackson Hole, which is also, you know, there's avalanche train there, but it's controlled. And my dad being an avalanche professional, I think had a really healthy fear for us of like, you know, like he knew the risks. 
And so we just really, as kids, he didn't really encourage us to get in the backcountry. Um, and so it's something that I picked up recently with my husband when COVID hit. Uh, and I really enjoy it. But I also am probably one of the most cautious backcountry skiers just because I have such a healthy and um, I think high respect for the risks that come with backcountry skiing. Caution is good and caution <laughs> is healthy. A hundred percent. I'm a totally. worrywart back there. <laughs> and I, I honestly ski like a grandma. It's like completely different, but that's the way the cookie crumbles. Um, so you said that you recently got into back country skiing, right? So yeah. what's the trajectory of like, uh, that to you becoming, you know, uh, like the American Avalanche Association, like your role with them, how does, what's the trajectory of that? Yeah. So it's interesting when I was thinking about this interview and like topics that I think that I was like, oh, they're probably going to ask about this. Um, one of my biggest challenges at A3 has been like finding my role within this community that's really like basically represents all these pro people who are doing really extreme you know, activities, whether that's mitigation and like highway forecasting or patrolling, throwing bombs or shooting a howitzer or backcountry education, like they're all doing these like really high level uh, avalanche related things. And I think coming in, I'm a really, really competent, good skier, but I don't have the avalanche expertise. And I think I was really intimidated by that. But one of the things that's been helpful to me is like understanding that I have my job here because I'm a nonprofit professional and not because I'm an avalanche professional and that's okay. And like, there are so many avalanche pros within our network and what we need is a nonprofit professional. We don't need another avalanche pro, you know, running the organization. And so finding that like, it's okay to step back and be like, Hey, yeah, I'm not this, you know, avi pro, but I do know how to run a nonprofit. I know how to fundraise. I know how to network. I know how to build you know, consensus and work with teams, like that's more important. So I think that has been a huge learning curve for me. And like, probably one of like, daily, I have to remind myself, like, it's okay that you're not an Abby bro, like, that's not what you need to be. So yeah, that's kind of a little bit of a rundown. I think that's a great perspective. And it's true, like you're doing a certain job for people who are avalanche professionals. And plus side, getting into the backcountry, you have all of the best mentors surrounding you. Like it's totally. the perfect place to learn. So you've already like dipped your foot in the water basically and you're a strong skier. So it's just teaching how to do it. If you even want to, like, like you said, your, your value is so much more than being able to backcountry ski. Totally. Totally. And I, my, one of my coworkers, Jen Reddy actually taught my level one avalanche course and it was so cool to work with her and see her in this professional capacity. Like it just, like I had worked with her, you know, you work with her in an office setting, but to work with her in like her like bread and butter, it was so cool and just so inspiring. And you're right. Like there are so many people in this community that I can lean on and just attending every single snow and avalanche workshop across the West in the fall. Like you just sit there and you know, you don't even have to be paying full attention to gain, you know, knowledge and insight and information from everyone who's presenting. So it's, it's definitely a good position to be in, in terms of getting more into it. For sure. I also just want to like, you know, having that support system and the ability to learn about it. Is it like, in your notes that you sent us a big contributor, you have an all woman team at A3. 
which is insane. Like it's a male dominated industry. That's definitely not common, especially in like backcountry spaces. So how has that influenced like, you know, feeling comfortable and like a learning space and everything totally, that's happening? Totally. Um, well, we have a really badass lady team, uh, as you mentioned. And I think one of the biggest gifts from that has been the ability to be really vulnerable. Like there are women on our team who are just like so so experienced in certain categories and like whether that is in you know publications or backcountry skiing or avalanche education or design like whatever category it's in they're so experienced and I think our team one of the unique things is like we have this ability to be vulnerable with each other like if I don't know something I feel very comfortable saying that to my team and they're like yes girl like we got you like we can pick up here where you can't carry or if they're like hey Janie I like need help I don't get this like I can come in and help carry that and I think there's vulnerability between everyone and that just builds stronger teams and it's especially important for us because we're all remote so like we don't hang out with each other at the office every day and like we don't develop those bonds. So it's really important that the time we do have either together in person or virtual is like productive and open and authentic and genuine. And I think our team has that, which is super cool. Yeah, that's an awesome dynamic. And all women, like Tori said, you just don't see it that often in this industry. And it's even cooler, like I've worked as a ski patroller myself in between finishing my first degree and deciding that I wanted to be a nurse. <laughs> I worked as a ski patroller and I think that the mountain I was at, Lake Louise, they did a really good job at making an effort to have more women. So our numbers really weren't too bad of a ratio. But when I ski around other resorts too, like it's hard not to notice that it is very male dominated and it does make that path towards furthering yourself in the industry a little bit more intimidating whether you like really recognize it or not it's you don't see as many people who look like you that are at the top all these like directors of ski patrol are mostly guys <laughs> totally <laughs> but I, I think our oh, membership sorry. is like 20 percent. no sorry I think our membership is like 20 percent women 80 percent male um which is crazy uh it's just yeah but yeah we're run by all women <laughs> It's That's... good to have the numbers because I'm just saying this purely like anecdotal from my own experience, but you can actually like confirm, yes, you are correct in yeah. what you have seen in the real world. You're correct. You're not insane. <laughs> That's actually really interesting. So like um, what considering that, you know, that statistic on membership divided by gender, is there anything that the team is doing to try and like get more female participation in membership? Totally. I think, well, first, first of all, I want to acknowledge that like, we are really grateful for all of our male members. And like, I, I think when I look at my own growth, like I have a lot of female mentors, but I also have really great male mentors in this space. And like, that is really cool. And I think in general, the avalanche specific community is like super open and super supportive. Um, and uh, really tries to, you know, put their best foot forward and be supportive of everyone, no matter what you look like or where you come from. And I think just naturally we have this lack of diversity and it's not necessarily because current people involved have tried to like push people down. It's just the nature of like skiing, right? Like outdoor recreation is just inherently not diverse. And so one of the things we're doing 
you know, that we can do to support more people in this industry is we just started a women specific scholarship with Backcountry Access, so BCA. Um, and we've partnered with them for a long time. Bruce Edgerly has been a great friend of A3. He's their founder. Um, and so we've worked with BCA for a lot, but we've never like specifically tried to tackle something with them. And I think with this women-specific scholarship series, we're trying to provide financial assistance for pro financial assistance for professional avalanche workers who identify as female. So people who are taking their pro one or their pro two avalanche course who might need some financial support. Because one of the barriers I think for you know, all avalanche gen- workers in general, but also women is just, it's a financial commitment. Like a course is 1500 to $2,500. Like it's a decent investment. And so we are offering this year with BCA three women specific scholarships and they're actually due on December 6th. So I don't know when this will air, but uh, <laughs> if it airs before tomorrow, they're due tomorrow. <laughs> Yeah, um, probably not in time, but at least people <laughs> will know about it. And then if you do it again next year, the ear, the sound will be out and people might know to look for it or have the chance to kind of look it up and, and follow along with it. I know when I worked on patrol, the Canadian equivalent of like Pro 1 and 2 would probably be Ops 1, Ops 2. And yeah, like you're looking at like 1500 bucks for Ops yeah. 1. And usually you have to go somewhere else to get it. So you're going to a different mountain and you have to pay for accommodation there. You have to maybe get a lift tech ticket for the on day, on-hill day. And uh, the hill I was at, they couldn't necessarily pay for your courses outright, but they would help you out by if you stayed the next year, then they would pay a portion of the course. So it's kind of their way of being like, oh, we'll help you as long as you stay and you keep working here. But you still have to put all that money up up front yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot, it's expensive. And when you're working on patrol and you're not making a lot of money, it's hard to come up with that. I like hardly, I, I honestly did not break even when I worked on patrol. Totally. I, I worked totally. my summer jobs because I knew that I would be in the hole slightly all winter. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so yeah, you're right. It's a huge financial commitment for people who are just starting out and you're like in the bottom of the ranks. You don't really, you need the courses to get higher up in the, in the system, but you also need to put in all your first aid courses, all your avalanche courses, it, all the gear that you need for all this stuff. It's huge. Yeah. And I think, For us, we are planning to do this program for, you know, multiple years. We want to have it kind of just be a standing scholarship series. And we also, you know, we talk with BCA of like, how can we have the most impact and like in an authentic way, right? Because like A3 doesn't really have power over saying like, Vail Ski Patrol, you should hire more women. Like we can't necessarily do that. Um, But I think this is a really great way that we can start. And from this build, you know, like, more community events, more mentorship opportunities, like just more like representation and engagement for the women who are already here and then the women who are thinking of coming so that for them when they get here, it's a better space. And I think like even I see that like my job now when I go to like workshops across the you know Western U.S., there are way more female speakers presenting than I'm sure there were five, ten years ago. And like, that's progress. And that's really cool. And, you know, I think, you know, Tori, you were saying representation is so important. Like when you see other women up there, like I was just at the Utah Avalanche Center, they did a pro workshop. Um, 
near Salt Lake City and there was not more women, but like probably almost equal amount of women speaking as there were to men. And like, that's so cool. And I think that's feedback that they were probably given of like, hey, where are the women here? And they made a really conscious effort because there are women who are doing really badass work. There are women patrol directors, you know, who can present about avalanche explosives and mitigation. There are female forecasters. Like there are all these women doing these cool jobs and like seeking them out to engage them, I think, is so important to supporting the next generation and themselves. Like it just lifts everybody up. A hundred percent. I have a tough question, but oh just curious. <laughs> okay. Um, so uh, obviously diversity across all marginalized and underrepresented groups is critical. And as white women presenting as a white woman and walking through life being treated as a white woman, we have privilege over um, like BIPOC people that are women, like trans women, all that kind of stuff, right? When we're analyzing intersectionality. Um, how does diversity look in the concept of like, you know, being racially diverse and also, uh, you know, trans inclusive, like LGBTQIAS plus, I think that's it, uh, inclusive, like how does that look? Um, from your perspective and is there anything that's being done to create that environment for those people as well? Totally. That's a great question. Um, and I'm, I'm glad you asked it. Uh, first, I think one of our biggest goals, and I guess I'm going to say we, but it's really mine as the executive director is like, how do we address DEI initiatives in a really authentic way? Like beside, you know, like we don't want to be out here tokenizing people or like, saying, you know, we're doing all this cool stuff and like it's really smoke and mirrors and we're not doing much. So like I have been, I think as a leader, pretty clear of like we, whatever we do, however we do it, it has to be authentic to us and it has to be genuine. Um, and it can't just be this like, um, oh gosh, what's the term? Like virtue signaling. So I think, you know, first and foremost, having a healthy respect for that is really important. Um, right now, the first thing that we're doing is we have one scholarship for underrepresented folks in the community, um, and that's not limited to BIPOC or LGBTQ+. Um, you know, you could be a woman and apply for that, but it's reserved specifically for underrepresented individuals, and that's for Pro-1 or Pro-2, again, similar to the women-specific. Um, and we started offering that last year. So that's kind of one thing that we're already doing that's moving in that direction. Um, and then the other kind of next steps, we did a strategic plan last year with our board. And I think for them, it was a huge priority to say, okay, like let's address DEI within A3. So it's in our strategic plan to work with a trainer for like staff and board um, to just make sure we're educated. Because I think for a lot of people, especially privileged people who maybe haven't had education in the past or aren't even aware of like the full kind of scope of what people are experiencing or going through, um, that that's really important. So we have, we will likely do staff and board training here in the next year on DEI and like how to make sure you're being inclusive and, you know, using inclusive terms and like representing A3 in the best way. And then from there, I think looking at ways that we can continue to engage a diverse community, whether that's bringing in speakers or, um, you know, A3 going out and seeking diverse audiences and saying, hey, here are these career paths. Like you could be a ski patroller. Here's what it looks like. Or you could be a snow scientist. Here's what it looks like. You know, we haven't done any of that in the past. And 
full disclosure, we haven't started any of that, but like it's all in this five year plan. And so I think because of that, it will hold us accountable to like making sure we're making those steps in an authentic and productive way over the next couple of years. So I will keep you posted on how the rest of that work goes. Um, And yeah, I think just holding ourselves accountable and being willing to learn is super important for for all of us. Definitely. I would say like everything you said, like making sure you're not woke washing or performative, you know, virtue signaling. And the fact that it's woven into your five-year plan is awesome. Like I, I had the same conversation with my organization that I work for because we have partners that really want to do DEI initiatives. And it's like, they're like, well, what's the reach we can get? And I was like, well... I'm like, this isn't really the best way to go about this. Like if you only want reach and you're only using it as a marketing tactic to gain positive associations, one, it's going to backfire because the internet is ruthless these days. Um, And two, it's bad for our brand to be associated to that. So it's like, you know, making sure that it's actionable, authentic and impactful, I think are the most important. uh, Wait, what did I say? Actionable, authentic and impactful. There's an, there's another A in there. I can't remember oh. what it is. Authentic? Did I say authentic? You said authentic. Um, I don't know. I love it. I love Final that. brain cell. But um, <laughs> anyways, everything you're doing is spot on. And the other thing is that change doesn't happen overnight. So for organizations that are run by like a predominantly privileged staff, like board of directors, like, you know, white presenting, male, able-bodied, all those kinds of bells and whistles, um, realistically to make change it's not going to happen overnight. You need to pay for the right type of consultation because you can't 100% speak to the experience of those people. And, you know, it's like systemically through the organization, change can be quite slow, which I don't think a lot of people realize. It is difficult in a business structure to make change, but sounds like A3's, yeah, pushing towards it, which is huge because there's definitely a lot of um, underrepresentation of other groups in in the ski industry in general, <laughs> including totally. the backcountry. So, totally. yeah. Well, and I think like the more like, if you're doing it right, it's slow. You know, if you're doing it fast and overnight and, oh, we're, you know, you're virtue signaling or whatever, like it's super fast then. But if you're doing it right, it is going to be slow. And I think I love that authentic, impactful. And I can't remember what your other one was. Actionable? Actionable. I love those. I love that. Oh, the other A is accountable. Accountable. I love yes. that. Yeah. So the yeah. three A's equal impactful. That's like the the method. It's also like a good PR crisis plan <laughs> if you ever need it. So, <laughs> yep. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. <laughs> yep. Um, Renee, you should chime in for questions. I feel like I just went on a tangent about feminism. <laughs> um, oh, actually, before she Renee does says, that. I do that a lot. At least it wasn't marketing. I mean, it kind of was. But it kind of was. Um, I loved it. I was here for it. The the only other thing that I wanted to s- oh shit now it's gone guys <laughs> I should not have had a tequila beverage with my lack of mental space right now um but it'll come back to me it was something ah okay Renee you go okay I'm just so sorry just I'm stop like this. talking okay I'll <laughs> shut up Jesus Christ <laughs> sorry that's okay no I, I I'm here for it. I have brain farts all the time. Like it really threw me off when you guys muted yourselves on the first question. I was like, oh my God, I can't hear the like white noise anymore. Are they even there? Like, Yeah. <laughs> I'm mean, still here. Renee and I's relationship, like we did one podcast episode where she was waffling trying to get out this thing and I just turned off my mic and I was like, spit it out. Just spit <laughs> it out. Spit out the question. And then Sometimes there- I just use a lot of words to get to 
a very simple thing. Same. That's fine. But then there was this Ew. other time in our friendship where I was like spiraling with anxiety and she literally slapped me. And I needed like it. Like physically, a physical slap? She physically slapped me. Yeah. Wow. It wasn't like super hard, but it just, it definitely yeah. like knocked me out of it. So we have like a very blunt and honest friendship, which, you know, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, she's a nurse, so I would trust her, you know. All the nurses I know are like badass, beautiful angels placed on the earth. So You know, for all the reasons I trust her, that's not one of them, but I'll take that into account. <laughs> I am a badass. Come on. You are. You, you are, are a badass. badass. You're a badass. Well, I'm Literally. beautiful. I'm beautiful. You are. are you doing are these <laughs> Did you guys know Snoop Dogg has a kids album? Um, no, wait, okay, I saw it. I know I'm a grandmother. <laughs> okay, now she's I, really like no, on. <laughs> I know I'm no. a grandmother and I'm not I'm not hip, I'm not up to date on the cool stuff. But okay. a influencer I follow like posted a video today to one of his songs, I think. Yeah. So yes, his, I did know that. <laughs> but his song is like affirmations for kids to yes! a pop beat. He's like, I have support. It's like, and the kids are like, I have support. It's like, I look good today. Mm -hmm. It's like, I look good today. I was like, I feel like we all need these affirmations in our life. This shouldn't just be for kids, Snoop Dogg. Like, wow. Literally. literally. <laughs> okay. Tori, your job is to download that because we're going to listen to it tomorrow on the way to the ski hill. Sounds good. That's some bad bitch energy. We're getting wrapped up. Love it. Love <laughs> it. Back to the conversation. <laughs> okay. Executive director. It sounds like very fancy to me. Oh, um, gosh. It is so fancy. It's so fancy. I'm just kidding. It's not at all, but I love that you think it is. <laughs> it's just like a very, like, I'm the executive director. Anyway. She's a director. She directs people. <laughs> God, no, don't give me tequila I'm, before I'm an episode. Of, I'm kind of just going back to, you know, the very beginning when we were talking about you getting into A3 and applying for that job. You mentioned leadership and executive directors. Like, you know, it's up there. Um, how has that allowed you to fulfill? Or, I mean, this is probably something that you're still working on because we're learning every single day. But... Leadership is something that you were looking for in this position. And how has that been for you? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, hey, well, it's ongoing. Like you said, I think I'm learning new things every day. And it's there's like a constant, I have like a deep-rooted fear constantly of like, am I going to sink this organization? Which I know I'm not. I think it's just like probably imposter syndrome creeping in and just general anxiety. Um, and I definitely wasn't expecting that. Like when you become like the buck stops with you basically. And so like suddenly I don't check out at 5 p.m. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's Saturday at 2 p.m. And I have this thing that like I didn't get done this week and it's weighing on me so much and I just need to go do it because, you know, I need to make sure A3 is successful. So there's definitely like more responsibility and like I hate to say it, but anxiety with that, but it's like a good anxiety. Like you care, you know, if you care deeply about something like you want it to succeed. Um, and I don't know if that's leadership, but that's definitely been part of it. Um, and then in terms of leadership, I think the biggest, I'm trying to think of like great lessons or things that I've learned. Um, I think the biggest thing for me has been like realizing that you may be the executive director, but like you don't have to go through this alone. Like there are people in every like one of your corners, you can reach out for support or advice or just to, you know, ping ideas off of. 
And that has been something that I've realized, like nothing happens alone. You know, like I don't do anything alone. Um, Sure, I make decisions, but like they're informed based on, you know, my experiences and like input from other people that I value and kind of sort through. And so I think I have been shocked at how much of a like team and not even team, but like group, like mentors, advisors, the board, my staff, like all come into my role. Um, And I don't even know if I answered your question. That was maybe just spewing, but. (laughs) What was your educational background going into this? Yeah, um, not, uh, not, well, actually, I guess kind of leadership, (laughs) kind of leadership. Uh, I have a minor in leadership development, which I'm pretty sure was maybe or maybe not a super serious uh, minor at Penn State. Um, But I went to Penn State. I studied ag science. I initially wanted to be an environmental science teacher. But when I was a junior, my last semester, my junior year, they were talking about student teaching. And I had a complete panic attack. And I was like, I cannot be a high school teacher. Like right now, that just scares me to death. And I don't think that's my path. So I called my advisor in a panic. And so she helped me switch my uh, degree to just kind of general environmental and ag science. And then I have my minor in leadership development, which I like truly don't know um, what courses I took to get that, but I'm surely utilizing them now without knowing. Um, And then I actually graduated a semester early and I moved to Salt Lake City and I worked uh, in the ski school office at Alta for the rest of the winter. And it was lovely and so great. And low stress compared to what I'm doing now. <laughs> yeah, the, before the adulting. But yes. I mean, there are adult positions on ski patrol too. And, or sorry, they're ski they're patrol. true. I was in the ski school. I was definitely ski not. School. I meant to say <laughs> ski school, but I was just like, my brain's just on patrol. We're on patrol. ski patrol. We're talking ski patrol about is, it earlier. Yeah, we're on and it. also, I wanted to say, we're talking about ski patrolling because that's what I know. But like guiding also falls under avalanche professional. And that's also very cool and way too hard for me. So guiding search and rescue, highway worker, researcher, there are so many avalanche professions out there. And like, it's not all backcountry. you know, there's a lot mm-hmm. like industrial, is industrial, huge. like we couldn't drive on I-70. If you live on the front range in Denver, like you can't drive to go ski without passing avalanche paths. Like you can't drive, like the state of Colorado, if you were to look at the avalanche maps, the routes or the paths with the roads, literally you couldn't go anywhere in the winter. Unless you're in Eastern Colorado, which is flat, but anywhere, anywhere middle or West, you're not going anywhere without avalanche professionals. Yeah. That's like Rogers pass in British Columbia. There's huge avalanches that do rip through there. Like legitimately they have to close the road to do the control. There you go. Um, my dad did a bunch of work on the Coquihalla. Is that how you say it? Coquihalla? Yes. Highway? Yeah. He did a bunch of work on the Coquihalla Highway when I don't, I think we were born because I remember him bringing back like Canadian souvenirs, maybe. <laughs> but like we were, we were young. <laughs> yeah. The, the Coquihalla, I, um, when I was a kid, we were driving to the, the West Coast to see, go see my grandparents and we had like flip flops on, like shorts, like we were thinking like it's going to be nice. And then there was a snowstorm and we got stuck on the Coquihalla for 12 hours. Oh my God. Oh gosh. That's yeah. a lot. My dad had to like take us to go pee and like carry us in his flip flops because we were in <laughs> our flip flops to like go pee and we watched like 14 movies. It was like a whole debacle. It was insane. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, that is a vibe. I okay. Speaking of your dad, and I remember what I was gonna say before I had that massive ass brain fart. Is that I love what you said before about um, you know, even though it's an all women team, you still have a lot of male mentors, and you still work with males, and there's still a lot of good men. I think, I think something that people get conflated with like intersectional feminism is that like feminists hate men and that's that's really not the case and that we can't work together and we want everything to change and women should take over and it's like there should be like equity in positions but it doesn't mean that like men are not valuable and that we don't like men it's just honestly what it comes down to is looking at how society as a whole has also failed men which we see a lot in you know outdoor spaces and backcountry spaces and like any type of kind of outdoor industry and workspace it's like um, one thing I noticed in your notes is that you guys have some mental health initiatives and mental health support and part of like masculinity is that the inability to speak about feelings and being vulnerable which you said you see in your space more frequently so yeah that's something that I want I hope more people can recognize so it's not like battling they think it's like this battle and you want to like axe the other and just like take over but it's like working together which I think is a great thing to point out Sorry, it took me so long to bring it up. No, I love that. I love that. And I'm glad we circled back to it because I do think like there are so many, like just personally, you know, there are so many men who are my cheerleaders, like absolutely cheering for me so much. And that is so cool and special and like being able to go to them. and, And like, you know, I talked about being vulnerable with my team who's predominantly female like when I first started out originally, it was much easier, I think, to be vulnerable with them just because I felt more comfortable, I think. And now, you know, I'm getting to this point with some of the people in my circle who are men, who are mentors, and like, I feel comfortable enough being vulnerable with them too, you know, coming to them and saying, hey, like, this thing happened. I've never dealt with something like this before. Do you have advice on it? And I'm going to come to you and I'm not going to know it all. Like, I'm going to you know, I know I'm the boss and I should, I feel like I should know it all, but like I don't and no one does. And like, they are so supportive and happy to like share that advice. And I think, yeah, I'm just so proud of the the men in the avalanche sphere who I interact with. And I think the majority of A3 members who are really good people doing good work and are here for, you know, equity and not fighting each other. Um, And in terms of the mental health, I just have to talk about this before we change the subject because it is so freaking cool. And we have this new initiative that I really just want to spread the word about. It's we were calling it the Resilience Project, and it's basically kind of three parts. The first is it's an online provider directory. So if you're an avalanche worker or even if you've like experienced trauma or tragedy related to an avalanche, so like you've lost a friend in the backcountry, or, you know, you had a near miss and you're kind of shaking from it. You can go to our website on under the resilience project and you can find a provider in your area who is um, knowledgeable about outdoor recreation and, you know, skiing and, you know, the professional avalanche work that we do. So you're not starting with a provider who's like, why the heck would you even backcountry ski? Like you're starting with someone and kind of speaking the same language. Um, And that's free. I think it's just for the U S. So I don't think we, I don't think we have any Canadian resources on there yet, but that's a good idea. Um, And we did get a ton. We worked closely on kind of the early construction of the list with the climbers grief fund. So a lot of it kind of cross sex with the climbers grief fund Um, The second part is grants. So we are now offering funding to individual, you know, A3 members and to teams. So like a ski patrol or a guiding service 
to apply for mental health funding to either bring someone in to do resilience training and or if you're seeking like your own mental health support, you can apply for grants to cover those costs. And I think for us, like we realize that a lot of our members probably don't have health insurance or if they do, it's like probably not that great in terms of covering mental health. So we want to help to kind of counteract that. And um, one of the kind of key funders for that is Backcountry, um, backcountry.com. They've like given us, I think, 15 grand for the next over the next three years to kind of make sure it's sustainable. So we'll obviously put more into that pot, but like it's a good um, kind of sustained program for the next three years. And then the last piece is like a resources and tools list. So you can go online and this one's free and you can look up like the stress continuum, if you're feeling stressed, or you can look up like, you know, what, what are, you know, numbers I can call if I'm experiencing X, Y, or Z, or what do I do if my team is feeling off? Like, how can I build a resilient team? And like, what are some tools for that? And it's all free. Uh, and again, that's like for a three members, Avi pros, but also just for general, you know, backcountry users or people that are connected to this community too. Um, I'm wondering, I don't know if you've seen this, but I know the ACMG in Canada, they did some research on some of these uh, mental health and like sexism statistics through ACMG. Have you ever seen some of that? Uh, I know there's a YouTube talk and also like a big document that has a lot of the final final numbers. Um, no, but can you give me the quick rundown of like what they found? Absolutely. Am I going to be depressed by it? Oh, gosh. You will. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> just tell me. Just and tell honestly, me I, I can't tell you like off the top of my head, but it's written by a lady named Rachel Reimer. Um, I guess I'm, I'm assuming lady, but however she identifies. <laughs> oh, my gosh. She, they. It's so hard. You like don't know people, right? Yeah. I just, you just, honestly, the best thing I find is just to replace any, like, you know, gender binary pronouns with they. Anytime I I don't know somebody's pronouns, I I just refer to them as they or them. And that's absolutely what happened to me is I just, like, caught myself and I was like, wait, but, like, would they identify that way or am I just assuming that? And it was me having that thought in my head as I was talking. Anyway. No, that's (laughs) all good. Good on you. Good on you. It's good to catch yourself. That's part of the process. Mm -hmm. Um. Rachel Reimer, based in Revelstoke. Um, she, I've listened to podcasts with her, her in it before, and um, she. See, I still am using the pronouns. Um, anyway, they did <laughs> a big research project with ACMG. Um, I can find the document and and send it to you, but I'm pretty sure you can look it up on the ACMG website. It's quite long, and I have read through it in the past, and essentially. The findings are sad, but also not unexpected in that many folks are struggling with mental health and not sure how to go about it. And also that there is high levels of harassment towards women in the guiding sphere. I would say like those are like the two biggest things that came from it, but it's all like the statistics are all there. It's a very legit academic study. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm going to look so, it up. Yeah. I'm going to well, look it I'll up. I'll send that's, it to you. And that sounds really interesting. And like, honestly, for it's anyone funny. that is listening, I know that that paper is on the ACMG website. I've seen it before on there. It's like under their resources or something, but yeah. Yeah. I will definitely look it up. I think one of the things too, and like, you know, my experience 
in this community is also really different than like a pro A3 member. You know, like I don't show up to work at a ski patrol that's predominantly male every day. Like I show up and work with all of these women most days. Um, so I want to clarify that too of like my experience in this community is certainly like I don't think that that's everyone's experience. Um, and yeah, I'm not, I'm not surprised. Like you said, it's sad, but not surprising. Um, but I think we just have to keep working on it. Like we have to keep, keep working on it. And it's all of us too, right? Like I think one of the things that I've been realizing is like my own like societal, like, I don't even know what it, like, what the correct term is. Internalized like, unconscious bias. Yes. Yes. And like, yeah. we all have, like, it's so, it's so bad. And so like, it's not just, yeah. I mean, we just saw just mine. Like, like, yeah, like, I just <laughs> caught myself in the middle of like, hold on. I don't, I don't know if that's what that person. Yeah. Is, Cause I don't know this person. How do, how do I go about this? Totally. Yeah. Totally. No, a hundred percent. I actually, um, Molly Jempson, she's a Paralympic, like absolute freaking weapon. Like, multi-gold medal winner, like Paralympic gold medal winner. Um, I had the opportunity to talk to her more at one of our our races uh, last week. And she just went on, um, what's the shred? What's the- Sister like, Summit. Sister, oh, Sister Summit. Summit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, um, yeah, so she just went on that. So she was in the back country with just like a bunch of women for an extended period of time. And then she basically came out of the back country and drove directly to Lake Louise for the World Cup. And we were talking about- this like male presence in sport. And she was like, holy shit, it hit me in the face. It was like from like this positive environment where everybody was just like vibing and then like coming to this event, it's like, you know, the the sport commentator was talking about, um, you know, he's like one of the prettiest skiers, like using very feminine language or like introducing the athletes was talking about their bodies and how like big their thighs were or just like the inequities there and the commentation. And like the biggest thing is that people in those positions, when they are using that language, they don't always realize they're doing it. They don't realize that there's that unconscious bias that's influencing the way that they interact and like commentate and like, you know, facilitate culture and dialect around a situation. And it's really interesting to see it come out and also to see like be there for like the men's weekend and watch like, you know, the, the crowd was bigger the commentation was different. It was purely focused on them being an athlete, not on like their physical presentation, like, you know, femininity, anything like that. And then to see it contrasted with the women's weekend. And if you were to confront any of those people, they'd be like, I'm not sexist, I'm not that. And like, I feel like people have really emotional reactions towards like sexism or racism. And it's like, in order to unpack that unconscious bias, you need to disassociate the emotional aspect of reacting to that word because they think it means that they're a bad person and that's not the case Mm -hmm. it's just what you've been programmed to think in a systemic you know patriarchal capitalistic culture like institutions have literally wired people to behave that way and it pulls from unconscious associations in the brain to deliver communications and yeah it's it's wild to see it come out but at the end of the day like nobody is inherently bad it's things they are taught from their environment. And that's something that everybody needs to remember when we're unpacking the shit. <laughs> yep. I love that. No one is inherently bad. Nobody is. Like you could put two kids in a room together from different backgrounds and they would jive. It's things that they learn from their environment. And that's why we think therapy's hot. We just need like, <laughs> we just need like a deprogramming therapy for all types of unconscious biases. <laughs> just throw that in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Love it. Yeah. I love it. And so. if you have mental health concerns related to a backcountry event, now we know where to go. A3. Resilience Project. Yep. Resilience Project. <laughs> we will point you in the right direction. Yes. yes. I mean, I've been there, done that. But I was wondering what exactly counts as a member. Like you use the term members, but mm-hmm. who are members? Oh. How does how does someone become a member? Because I don't maybe it's just because I'm Canadian and so we have a different avalanche association that does like very similar things, but just in a different country that is slightly more north. But <laughs> you tell me. Totally. Um well we are we are very similar. And uh shout out to uh Joe the executive director of the Canadian Avalanche Association. Sometimes I call him for advice. Like, hey, what? how did you do this? <laughs> um, we, you can be a member in several different ways. Uh, we kind of, I think, historically have really tailored towards professionals. So people who are currently employed in the industry in Avalanche work uh, and have like six or more years of experience. I think it's four to six. I can't remember off the top of my head. Gosh, I should know this to the T. Um, but multiple years of experience in the industry and are currently employed and like work with or around avalanches kind of on a daily basis or at least a significant portion of the winter season. Uh, and that's kind of our top level of membership. And with that level, you get like full access to all of our membership benefits. So we do, you know, pro deals and, you know, scholarships, grants, like there's a lot, you just get kind of full, full access. Um, And then the next step down is affiliate membership. And this is for folks who are working either currently or have worked in the industry, but are not either don't have enough time, like they have only been in the industry like a couple of years. So say you're like a second year avalanche educator or something, Um, you might fall into this category of affiliate member. And this space also has, you know, some really great perks, but like a little bit less than the pro. Um, And then the last tier of membership is general membership. And this would be for like the three of us, I guess, Renee, if you were still ski patrolling, not you, but like, if we're all, you know, signing up today, we would be general members, like people who, you know, appreciate the you know, the work of professional avalanche workers, enjoy the backcountry ourselves, realize we benefit from avalanche workers, want to stay kind of connected to the community. Um, And that's um, like anyone, there's no application process for that. The affiliate members have to be approved and then the pro members have to be voted on by the board of directors. So it's like a pretty strict process to get, um, to get in. And I think right now we have just over 2,600 members. So it's definitely, and I probably, over 50% of those are pro. That's like a good, I, I mean, to me, it sounds like a good number of pro people, but it's probably not as many as I think it is <laughs> because it's still in the grand scheme of things, not that many people, but yeah, it's definitely, I mean, it's, it's been interesting, like coming from conservation to this community, it's, it's just so much smaller, right? Like there, it's just like kind of a niche group of people and it's a niche career path. Um, So we are really happy with it. I think obviously, you know, we would love every ski patroller to be an A3 member, but like realistically not every ski patroller is doing avalanche work or, you know, has the capacity to become a member and that's okay. Like what we want to do is make sure that the people who are members, we are supporting in the best way possible and, you know, being a resource to them and, just making their jobs a little bit easier in ways that we can, you know, in authentic and realistic ways. So, yeah. 
Um, as we're winding down our interview, uh, I guess, obviously, the A3 website, is there anywhere else that you'd like to point people to? Yeah, um, one of the cool projects that we do is we work with the National Avalanche Center to run avalanche.org. So avalanche.org has kind of a national kind of danger map. Um, and within it, you can link to, you can click on like your state, your area, and it'll take you to your local forecast center. Um, so if you are like traveling at all, I think avalanche.org is super helpful. And it also provides kind of the back end structures that a lot of almost nearly all of the U.S. forecasting centers upload their information to. So like that's how they're putting in their forecasts every day. So we um, are super proud of that. And then it also includes like if you one of A3's big pieces is that we set kind of the standards and the guidelines for avalanche education in the U.S. And if you go to avalanche.org, you can find it on our website, too. But if you go to avalanche.org and you can you like click up, find a course provider, you can find providers who are either approved pro providers. So if you're taking a pro one or a pro two avalanche course or are recognized recreation providers. So if you're taking like a level one or a level two, like area one, area two, those are level one, level two. Um, and you can find providers in your state that, that then you can go to their website. So like you don't have to look up, um, you know, who teaches avalanche courses in Montana. You can just go there and it'll tell you every single, every single operator that's, you know, been through the hoops and their rigmarole and like, has been kind of reviewed and recognized that like they're doing the right stuff and you should trust them and trust the education you get from them. That's a great point because I, again, that's like being in Canada. Most of our listeners are in us. So, so I want to <laughs> point people to the right places. And this is the perfect time of year for people to be seeking out those resources whether they're new to backcountry travel or, or not, and just want a refresher, that's where they can find it all. And it's good to be always checking forecasts, even if you're not going out touring that day, just keeping up to date on it. So. Yeah. And one other thing, it's not really a website, but I do think um, your listeners might be interested in it because I'm gauging that they're mostly backcountry users. Um, but we publish a book, um, on avalanche accidents in 10-year increments. And it basically, we work with authors who are professional avalanche workers. So this last book was uh, written by forecasters in Montana and a forecaster in Colorado. And they basically like analyze all the accidents that occur in this span. And then they like summarize, like here are the consistent themes. Here are like, what you should watch for. Here are the mistakes that they made. Here's how we can learn from them. Um, and it's it's all like pieced together in a really digestible way. And I think one of the coolest things from that that publication, it's called the Snowy Torrents, is that you could like flip to your area and you could look up the accidents that have happened in your region. And you could say like, oh gosh, there's been all these accidents on, you know, like Mount Taylor or whatever, and you could, you know, know, okay, these are what happened to these people and then try to like learn from those accents yourself. So like you are a better partner and traveler in the backcountry yourself. So it's not a website, but it's called the Snowy Torrents. And if you go to our website, it'll link you, you can buy it on Amazon. It's super affordable. And it is honestly like such a cool read. And it, it's just, it's a great analysis. It's great storytelling. Um, it's respectful of the incidences that have happened. Um, and I just, I can't recommend it enough as 
an entry-level backcountry user, I find it extremely helpful. I think that's a, a great point. And it's like, also, it's very affordable. Totally. But if you are looking for something that you can do on your own, that's self-directed, there's not always a lot of options out there that aren't really expensive, like online subscription type, mm -hmm. type stuff I've seen before. But um, I think... I've I've personally tried to read like avalanche education books and I just get so bored trying to read them so that makes me more interested because I'll only be able to digest a little bit of trying to read about snow science at once because it, it just it becomes whether you're interested in it or not if it's written like a textbook it's gonna be dry and this is not <laughs> this is like storytelling it's so like you could sit around and read a story once a night before bed. I don't know that you'd want to do that. That's maybe a little morbid. But, um, like, you could read, you know, they're really digestible stories. And it's crazy. And even in Bounds, like, there's a couple accidents. The last issue they did was from 86 to 1996, which was the rise of – it captures, like, the rise of snowmobiles, snow machines, if you're Canadian – um and call, right call, we call them snowmobiles okay why do snow machines <laughs> i feel like some canadians do that let's we need to i own that. one and i confirm that i do not call it a okay, snow okay, machine okay, okay. I, don't know. I think we call right them now. a sled don't we i mostly call it yeah i call mine a sled more than anything sled. Yeah. a brat buddy brat brat no okay, i just whatever, came up with that whatever but they call nobody calls it that either okay, okay fine <laughs> sorry all right snow machines Snowmobile. in ontario canada Oh, that that probably could be true. That could be true. <laughs> they don't really have a lot of mountains over there, so they're snow right. machines, you know. It's um, <laughs> anywho, okay, I'll give any, you that. Anywho, <laughs> anywho. I, that's not, maybe not it. I might be totally off, you guys. Whatever. It's Snowmobile. Okay. Snowmobile. We just roasted you so hard. You did. You please really did. continue. Sorry. <laughs> now I'm like Googling. Am I like, am I insane for thinking this? Okay, for some reason I thought this. Maybe, maybe not. I'm sure Anywho, people do call it that. It I'm like, just like, I don't. It captures, I'm glad you don't because it's snowmobile is great. But anyways, it captures like the modern snowmobile and when it could go, like suddenly we weren't just on trail, like we were going off trail, we were going way higher and like way farther and faster and deeper and all these things. And like you see this like huge jump in accidents uh, and it's just, it's, it's wild. It's so, it, it's super helpful and yeah, I can't recommend it enough. The Snowy Torrents. Get your yeah. copy today. <laughs> Get your copy today. This is the official advertisement. Yeah. Um, I always – I'm like – I call myself a data daddy because I love data. But I love it when you can see like a, you know, a causal trend. In, yes. You know, there's like a correlation. You're like, oh, shit, this is when – but that's that's really interesting to analyze. And I know that from talking to people um, just about seeing like irresponsible uh, snow machine users in the backcountry that <laughs> – yeah, it's it's definitely an area where I feel like people are either undereducated, underexperienced, or just unaware of the danger that they're in. So, yeah. Sorry, I roasted you again there. I didn't. No, I to. love. It. I just okay. sent you guys a link. <laughs> I just sent you guys a link. To snow machine is the snow machine validating this is a thing. It, I think it is. It's snowmobilehow.com. Which snowmobile is versus there's a whole article written right. Okay, so I'm not insane. I'm there not really insane. isn't a difference. It just depends on where you live. Okay, but who says oh, where? Oh, maybe it's Alaska. Oh, you guys, here we go. Here we go. If you ever visit Alaska and say snowmobile, the locals will know you're from somewhere else. 
Way up north, everyone calls snowmobiles snow machines. Interesting. So maybe it's okay. Alaskans. Oh, there are other places I've been in Canada where people call them snow machines. Okay, so maybe I'm just looping you guys in with the Alaska people. Sorry about that. Okay, who calls them a ski scooter? That needs to be a thing. That's, a ski yeah, where scooter. is that? <laughs> <laughs> We've all been to a skate park. And we're all, Well, maybe not. Well, I don't know. I've been to a skate park. And I'm like, freaking scooter kids. So like ski scooter just does not have a good vibe to it, I don't think. <laughs> Let's just go sled. Sled is sled is cool. Sled is cool. Right. Yeah. Um, so. as we're maybe that's just because I do. But <laughs> <laughs> you're like I am a badass uh, sledder. Or snow so, pony. Snow pony. That's snow actually pony? actually that's one probably of my what friends. I call the most. Yeah, one of my yeah. friends is like a legit like pro snowmobiler. I guess I don't know what what she calls herself, but like she calls it a snow pony. So, okay. That's easily my go. favorite. I don't even yeah. own one, but if I ever did, I would definitely call it a snow pony. Yeah, snow pony, um, I think. For mine sure. is personally named Bagheera. Uh, Bagheera? That is, oh. That's the name of my sled. Bagheera. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Is she black? All black. All I black love everything. that. It's like from what, like the Jungle Book, right? Isn't yeah. that the panther or whatever? I love that. Black Bagheera. Bagheera. I didn't even put that together. I love yeah. that. Uh, um, I don't have a snowmobile, Renee, but I do have a dirt bike, and she's blue, and her name is Effie. Effie. I love that. Effie, yeah. I named my car Jasmine. Is there anywhere that people can find you if you want to, like, um, kind of share A3s, social media, websites, all that jazz as we're, we're kind of closing down? Sure. It's your time to shine. You can say thank you, Mom and Dad, you know? <laughs> thank you, Mom and Dad, for raising me on a ski hill. What a freaking treat. Um, really, no, but really it was a treat. Uh, but you can find a three, uh, www.americanavalancheassociation.org. We are on Instagram and Facebook. Our Instagram is more active than our Facebook. So, and I feel like this crowd is probably more Instagram than the Facebook crowd. Um, so yeah, look up American Avalanche Association on Instagram. Um, we have a lot of cool content over there and then just updates and, um, yeah, just a lot of news related to avalanches. Um, and yeah, feel free to reach out, uh, our contact email, our contact info is on our website. So feel free to email me if you have any questions and, um, yeah, just thanks so much for having me, you guys. This was a treat and hopefully I didn't sound too weird and awkward. (laughs) No, I could say that this episode sponsored by my ADHD. So I do not think you were the weak link here. Um, ADHD and tequila. Let's go. Okay. Um, Yeah. Thank you so much. It was great to have you today. And yeah, well, I'm sure we'll hopefully stay in contact and see what the future brings. (laughs) That was a really weird way to end this, but okie (laughs) dokie. We can go snow machining in Canada. Let's go snow machining. (laughs) 